Hello and welcome to The Agenda on Monday the 28th of November 2022 as we set you up for the week uh, within the cynic. There's no Celtic currently at the moment but we do have plenty to talk about. I'm your host Christopher Gallagher as always and I'm joined by Alan Edgar. Hello Alan, how are you? I'm good, thanks very much for having me. Lovely stuff. And uh, Kieran Devlin's here of course as always. Hello Kieran, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Delighted to join you on this crisp, sunny uh, morning. Uh, the best, the best weather is crisp, sunny mornings, I believe. Crisp and sunny. Superb. Uh, thanks to Colin Kearney, who did the uh, covering for Alan for the last two weeks. Uh, it was a pleasure having Colin on. I'm sure he'll be back on some form. Uh, right, good stuff. It's, uh, as Kieran says, it's crisp, it's sunny. Celtic haven't been playing football, uh, but there's been the World Cup. We've got some news. Uh, got some kind of feature stuff we can do. Uh, for everyone, I keep getting text messages uh, from WhatsApps and emails. Chris Bowd is alive. He's not dead. So after the midweek bounce uh, where it sounded like he was dying on air, he is alive. He's doing well. So thanks for all your your thoughts. Um, Alan, you, you, obviously we've not heard from you uh, on the agenda. You've been on other pods, but how have you been the last couple of weeks? What's been happening? Uh, yeah, all good. Um, obviously, delighted with the news that um, Bowd is um, alive and well. It's really, really is fantastic for him. That's worked out famously for him. So, um, not all good. Been watching the World Cup, and um, I was away a couple of weeks ago for a few days. So, not all good. Just getting back into the, the rhythm and the, the pre-Christmas rhythm now as well. Absolutely, yeah. Pre-Christmas, the uh, Christmas, the uh, lights are all up in uh, Burnside and Rutherglen and, and all that stuff. So it's all very nice and all very Christmassy. Kieran Devlin, how the bloody hell are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm a positive Monday Monday morning mood. Don't know why. Um, but yeah, it's nice. Had a had a lovely weekend. Uh, had a friend's engagement party on the on the Saturday, um, where they also revealed that they're three months pregnant. So that was a real sort of that was it was both like a, a really fun celebration, but also like a punch to the gut that ah fuck we are adults now. <laughs> it's fun. Uh, it's really not fun being in your late twenties. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so I, then you know hung over on the Sunday because it did go quite heavy, and yeah, it's just it been nice. Had been a lot of um, went to the cinema to see After Sun on Friday, which was brilliant. Really recommend it. Paul Mescal, just about the only person on the planet who can do a good Scottish accent. Um, is it good, I? It's, it's decent, it's respectable, it's very, it's very Edinburgh, he's supposed to be Edinburgh, it's very Edinburgh, so, you know, take it take it by a grain of salt. And um, his daughter wears a heart shirt, so I'm afraid we're scum. Um, <laughs> I'm afraid. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this guy's um, really recommend it if anyone's a fan of, you know, being moved to tears by a really emotional... It's a quite heartwarming story. Um, very, yeah, raring to go now. Watch, I've also been watching a lot of World Cup. Initially, you know, boycotting it by, I don't know. It was been a very, I've been a massive hypocrite over the entire thing, as I imagine a lot of people have, by saying I'm going to try and boycott somewhere, but still ended up watching the vast majority of the games. So, yeah, I feel I feel a bit guilty, but also, uh, especially in the, the fact that the games have been so shit. Um, the majority of them have been so shit has made me, I don't know, reconcile that guilt. It's like, ah, yeah, I'm watching the games, but the games have been shit. So maybe if the tournament's a disaster, I don't know. It's been, it's been a, a mixture of emotions, but I'm feeling feeling all right apart from 
that uh, hypocrisy. Uh, I, I find it funny that you said, like, if anyone likes to kind of watch an emotional story and, you know, kind of emote. And I thought, that's not Alan. That's not Alan. That's not Alan Edgar at all. No, he just, he'd sit and he'd accept the, the, the story he'd been told and he'd left. Go for a beer afterwards, Alan, am I right? Yeah, I, I don't need to go to the cinema to cry. I really, real life is hard enough without putting yourself through that. Has anyone seen the movie American Pie? <laughs> it's that very... would be my thoughts. Uh, a good ninety-minute romp. That's what. That's what I'm after. People will think, "Oh, Alan's making a joke about American Pie, just bringing the tone down for a bit of fun." Absolutely not. It's one of his favourite films. So, and why the hell not? Very good. I think it was the first, first ever DVD I bought. Either I think I mentioned this recently. It was either that or Russia or Two oh, was the first DVD I had. And I actually wanted to buy the video, but the man said they don't. We don't do videos anymore. <laughs> the we sell DVDs now, so. That was it. That was into modernity. Yep, the man. It's always the man. Um, lovely stuff. Uh, over the weekend, I went to see Celtic FC women, uh, myself and Claire, um, and a few others went to see Celtic FC women take on Rangers uh, at Broadwood. Uh, it was good. It was a good game. Uh, Claire will give you all the details on Wednesday on the Celtic women's football show, but... Uh, yeah, plenty to talk about from that point of view. A bit disappointed with certain aspects of the performance, but nil-nil it finished and uh, Celtic had chances. But yeah, it was good. It was a good derby. I think there was about 4,000 people there, which was great. And yesterday in the Edinburgh derby, there was 8,000 uh, people at the uh, the derby for the, the women's team. So absolutely fantastic stuff. Great to see. Um, right, we're going to start with an opening question and it's quite an interesting opening question from uh, Ali Cunningham. He emailed this morning, editor at thecynic.co. Hi, Chris and the boys. The question is, how successful do you think this squad would be if it was locked in for the next three years, no transfers in or out, and Ange stays in charge? Seems like we have a good balance across the age ranges, and I feel players like Welsh could push on if given a run. The reason I ask the question is that it's difficult to see how we improve without spending big, which is unlikely. Domestically, I think we, we would all feel confident, but could we progress further in Europe with further coaching and development? Keep up the good work and get bow to the doctor as soon as possible. The guy's on his way out. Uh, <laughs> great stuff, Ali. But it's an interesting one. If, you know, kind of, we, we obviously have, we talk about transfer windows, but transfer windows come up, you know, twice a year. So there's no real chance to kind of lock anyone in. But if this just for whatever reason happened where this squad of players and this manager were locked in, no players in, no players out for three years, do you think there would be you would see a development of guys like Welsh? Do you think Celtic could improve? Could we push through in Europe? Alan, we'll start with yourself. I, I think the, the the last point you made there about pushing through in Europe would be difficult. Um, I, I think there would be significant improvements in a number of players, and I think it's important to mean to raise the age profile that we have. It's very positive. Um, a lot of really young, exciting players that are yet to hit anywhere near their peak. So you would have a significant uptick from from that, but I I think in key areas, you know, uh, key areas that a lot of people have spoke about, goalkeeper, striker, the real difference makers, and we've noticed that in this group stage, real difference makers. If you had top quality probably in goals and up top, you could be t- looking at a very very different group stage. Um, and I think if if you were, I was about to use the expression stuck with what we've got, but that's really really unfair. Because we, we like the goalkeeper, we like the strikers. But I think there is potentially an acknowledgement that we would need better um, in a couple of areas, particularly to um, to 
progress in Europe. It's a real positive and it looks likely again that the winners of the league this year will make it straight into the Champions League, um, which would be which is obviously a real positive. But for the scenario that's been raised here, if it then meant the same squad exactly going into that, then I think it could be really difficult. It could be really tough and you would really need a favourable draw to make that breakthrough in um, European competition. But it would be great to see guys like O'Reilly, Jota, um, really progress and maybe even hit their peak here. Because I think that's something at the moment outside of this hypothetical scenario that is just quite hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine Jota being here for four or five years. It's difficult to imagine Matt O'Reilly being here for four or five years, Real Hitati, given the potential that they've shown and given the way kind of football operates. So I think it would be successful. I think there would be more than enough domestically to um to certainly keep up keep up the the average trophy haul that, that we've kind of amassed over recent years. But I think in Europe it'd be extremely difficult to make that that big breakthrough. Um, you might have some positives, but I think over a six game group stage it would be extremely difficult to qualify from certainly from the Champions League. Kieran, your thoughts? Yeah, I think I'm quite similar. I do think they're quite... Well, I think there's some gaping holes in that squad that mean we're not a Champions League team. I think Alan's identified them both. Um, I think, I guess it depends whether we count Kobe Ashe as now part of the squad. Like, if he's, uh, if he offers what we hope he offers, and again, he's very, there's a lot of question marks at the moment. We're tentatively optimistic, but we... You know, we're not going to see what he can actually offer us until, you know, we see him over a run of games over an extended period of time. So at the moment, I do think there's some, you know, you are missing a centre back who can pass well uh, until your Kobayashi proves that at a European level as well. You know, it, we say it's one thing to do it domestically; it's another thing to do it in the Champions League, as we've seen with both strikers. <laughs> um, you know, it's um, it's, it, it's I do think there's. I, I agree with Alan. I do think you will see a number of key players improve. I do think you also see players like Hart and Callum McGregor regress. Um, you know, the type of player that McGregor is, he turns 30 next year. If you're logged in, you know, I, I, I completely see him having a Scott Brown style um, revolution and evolution of the type of player he is. But in three, I think it'd be asking a lot for a guy who played so much football to be able to do what he does now. In a, a couple, in two or three years' time, to the same level. Um, so I think, and Hart, you know, he's already regressed this season. I, I feel like um, our goalkeeping situation, if without additions over the next few years, could be quite grim, uh, to be blunt. Um, but I, I, at the same time, you know, I think uh, this there are people like McGregor, Hart, but there are also uh, I think. There are more upsides to that at the same time. I think we would consolidate domestically, maybe be a bit better because we have the experience as well, because we have the, the experience now in the Champions League. We've mentioned it to death over the last few months, but that is invaluable. We've seen it happen for Bruges. I'd be more, much, much more optimistic going in next year, hopefully with a few new signings, trying to, uh, which obviously ignores the point of the question. But um, yeah, I think I think there's yeah, players like O'Reilly, Jota, also, some people, you know, people like Bernabe as well. I think you'd hopefully see a, a lot more from him over the next few years to hopefully be the player we hoped we were getting. Um, because he is still very young and very, very raw, even though he has some really good qualities. So, yeah, I think I think we would improve, but there's a very there is a quite a short ceiling on it. I do think this, and I think I'd go a real back against the um, when he said 
you can't get that quality without spending good money. I think you can. Um, I just don't think we recruited well in the summer. Um, and I think if with good scouting, you can get good good players. That we've seen, you know, one of the later listening questions when I read the, the rundown, we, we're going to touch on the types of markets you can go into. But I do think you can, with really good scouting and good coaching and good identity profiles, you can get Champions League quality players for three, four or five million. Um, it's just being very proactive with that and targeting them as well. Um, that's why I'd land on it. Uh, see on the idea that let's just again back to the complete hypothetical of a locked in scenario where no one leaves um, like do you think someone like Alan I'll come to you do you think someone like Stephen Welsh if he had guaranteed kind of coaching from Ange Postacoglu and Ange Postacoglu's team do you think he could improve to uh, like my point is do you think Someone like Stephen Welsh, who we've we've heaped praise on. There's no question. We think he's a very good player. We think he can, um, you know, have a really good career. We maybe don't think it is at Celtic, but if it was guaranteed that Ange was going to stay there and work with them, do you think he could improve to the point where maybe not become a complete first team regular, but could improve up a couple of levels? Because when I think when it, so when I when I think about domestic. Scottish players, I sometimes think some of these guys just have got so many different managers over so many different times that, you know, they don't know what to focus in. Hibs is a, a perfect example of a club that changes the managers on a regular basis. Is Ryan Porteous good enough for Celtic? Absolutely not. But is Ryan Porteous a good player who could go and have a career somewhere else? Yes. Could he have been better if he'd had one manager over the last couple of years? Probably. I don't know. It's that idea of consistency. Yeah, I think I think you're looking at it from the idea that I mean the Hibs example is is valid and fair. However, many managers they've had over the last four or five years, it would potentially be difficult for young players to understand their place in there and try and find out what they want to work on. If though you have two or three managers over five or six years, then the different elements, the different um, styles can improve you as a player. I think on the original question, Stephen Welsh. If Stephen Welsh was to play first-team football consistently for the next two years, he would be a far superior player to the player he is today because of the age he's at and because of, I think you have to give allowances and credit for the development and the leaps that he's made over the last 18 months as a player. However, the likelihood is that, and again in this hypothetical scenario, with the five and a halfs that we have at the moment, or let's just say the four that we have at the moment and we've had all season, Stephen Welsh has found himself fourth choice and his game time has been extremely limited and that will hamper his development significantly. He's training with quality players every day, but he's a good enough player that he can go to other sides and be able to both train with and play with good, talented professionals every single day. And I think that would be the question for him. I don't think it's necessarily a question now for us over Stephen Welsh. Do we think that... Stephen Welsh can be good enough to be part of the squad at Celtic. I think he's quite clearly can. Where people have him in the hierarchy maybe differs. Um, but I think you need to flip it around and say from Stephen Welsh's point of view, is would he be happy staying here and being fourth choice just because it's his boyhood club or because I, I, I would bet everything that Stephen Welsh thinks he's an ambitious player who believes he deserves first-team football, and if it's not here, then it'd be somewhere else. So I think he would improve. I don't doubt that, but I think he would improve anyway. And I think that actually first-team football is what Stephen Welsh will want and, and what a player of his 
potential talent and ambition probably needs as well. So, you know, I think it's a discussion we've had quite a lot recently. He certainly can improve. It's just whether he gets enough game time to make sure that that development time isn't wasted. Um, because he's done extremely well over the last 18 months, but he now finds himself fourth choice again. He's kind of almost reverted back to a situation because of the levels across the team have improved. He's kind of found himself kind of towards the back of that pecking order again. And it's very difficult to get out of that place. Um, so I think he's one that, you know, as soon as the hypothetical embargo is lifted, he might um, see himself moving on. <laughs> um, you know, over the weekend, it was reported uh, that Josh Doig is kind of, there's interest from, you know, and this is all speculation, but there's interest from Napoli, there's interest from Lazio, there's interest from another club, a couple of clubs. Um, he's went over there to, he's at Verona, and he's, I've watched him a couple of times, he's scored a couple of goals, he, he looks a far better player than he was at Hibs, and we're literally talking, what, six months? I, I, I just, I just look at these players, and I'm like, what are we missing and I know we've discussed about if they were at Celtic, they wouldn't get the opportunities. And I, I totally understand that. And I'm not saying that Celtic should have signed Josh Doig when he was at Hibs. Because when you know you look at him on, on the form he was at, at Hibs, you, you think you probably can't even make it into our, our squad, let alone, well, maybe, maybe our squad. But then he goes and he has six months playing for Verona. And then all of a sudden he's been linked to big clubs. It's just a bit frustrating, I guess. I don't know. What's your thoughts, Keaton? Yeah, no, I, I know. I see what you mean, and then you're immediately thinking because I think Doig and Hickey were both players. We, we sat here and said, "Do we want him to sign him?" No, we want a player who can come in and make an immediate impact. And they've both gone on and done well. You know, Lucas Lewis Ferguson, uh, he's doing with <laughs> he is doing really well as well. To be fair to him, um, but it, I, I think at the same time, I think it's, it's what what's the opposite of buyer's remorse. Not not buyers from <laughs> There's got to be a, a catchier uh, term <laughs> than that. But um, I think it, it is natural to have that, especially since these are young Scottish players uh, with no clear um, Rangers affiliation <laughs> that we are we are missing out on. And I think there's, that's always going to be the case when you're a Celtic. You're always going to have that. Yeah. At the same time, there's, there wasn't any evidence at Hibs or Hickey at Hearts that they could go in and make that impact. You know, I think I think it says a lot of their ability to to make the step up and handle the step up. But I think it's very clear that playing with a better caliber of player and playing a lot uh, at a com- uh, more competitive level has allowed them to step up their game. That they proved themselves capable, but it's also meant that you know they're, they're probably <laughs> the quality of coaching dogs receiving at the moment. I assume is much much higher than um, his last couple of heads managers. Um, so I think it's, it is one of those things where it's frustrating, but at the same time, I, I think it would be very different if he was if it was to come to Celtic, because because of all the things we've discussed before, because of the higher expectations, like you know you are playing at a more competitive level with um, where Doig is at the moment. But at the same time, the expectation you're not you're not expected every slack pass isn't going to have sixty thousand fans <laughs> cursing your name. You know, there's a lot. It's a very different. Um, situation and I think part of me as well is just I just do quite like seeing Scottish players do well abroad yeah. from a non-Celtic perspective also for the national team for the growth of the game and just because it's quite a nice story I just quite like that there is this like Scottish contingent all of whom have been a success so far and going over to 
Italy and hope, you know, it can only be a good thing that more and more players are going to other top five leagues that isn't just the Premier League or the Championship and doing well there. And, you know, yeah, I think for myself, I also just, I, I do like having Scottish players at Celtic. I, I really love it when academy players go come through. But I also quite like having, you know, five Japanese players at the club at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, do, I do think it's just, it's just fun. It's just fun. I like it. Yeah. I like a fancy player myself, to be fair. Um, Alan, it's kind of like uh, Schrodinger's uh, SPFL player. They're both good and not good enough. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're in the box and they're signing for Serie A, but if they'd signed for us, they probably wouldn't have kind of made it. And by the way, I'm not making any comment other than it, good for him, as, as Kieran says, you know, it's good to see young players do well. It's good for the league, I think, because the reputation of the league. But at the same time, you are, you are kind of like, well, I don't know, what are we missing? Good for him, come across very sarcastic there. Um, <laughs> it really did not come across like you meant good for him. Um, I think about the examples of, of Hickey and Doyle particularly when you're looking at fullbacks, I think they are, I think clubs are looking at it, looking at the profile of player. They're looking at the age they have when they make their breakthrough. I think Doig was 17 when he made his debut at Hibs and then he played, he was playing consistently at the age of 18. And I think they probably look at it in a little bit more of a simplified way than we do. They look at his physical attributes. They look at the fact that he's playing, you know, such significant game time. And, you know, it's, it's not one of the top leagues in Europe, but, you know, you are playing against good sides and he is holding his own. I think they look at it at that age and they look at the, the physical attributes, they look at the strength, the power, the speed, particularly in Doyle's case, and they then think, well, he is playing fullback at the age of 18 and, and a, you know, professional league in Europe I think they do look at it and say that there's an acceptance that they will be able to work on the technical elements of his game and I think with Doig particularly it was it was rough around the edges with regards to his touch but it was quite clear that he had the he had really, really impressive speed. He had great stamina. And I think clubs will look at that and say, you know what, we'll work on, we can work on the rest. He clearly is good enough because he's came through the ranks at an academy. And he's not going to be perfect, but we can't sign a perfect player because we don't have that kind of budget. So I think there is an acceptance there that they will be happy to work on it. And they will say, we'll take that player. And at, at the very minimum, we'll have a player that we know we can utilise week in, week out um, and in some form. Then you try and build and improve on them. I think we, I don't think there is any doubt. I think we we do have a slight snobbery here. I think we see a player every week playing for Hibs. We see him make one mistake maybe on sports scene. I think, I think if I remember right, Doig made a pretty bad error at Ibrooks. And I think after that, everyone thought, nah, can't have him here, which is, look, it's fine. We, we want to sign Champions League quality players. We have really high ambitions. We're a club with a huge budget in this league. But at the same time, if you're playing a player at 18, you're going to see him make mistakes and you're going to have to adjust and live with that. And I've I, I seen him play at Celtic Park. He had an incredible game. And then I've seen him play in other games where he was just fell out the game and a couple of games where he was really poor. And that's the nature of it. That's the nature of a young fullback. Um, so I do think there is a slight snobbery. I think it's not dissimilar to probably the discussion we've had for a long time now about Greg Taylor. I think, if anything, Greg Taylor was potentially a less exciting signing than Josh Doig would have been. Not in terms of talent, but Greg Taylor was a consistent player at Kilmarnock for years. I don't think many people looked at him and thought that's a player that is going to come in and you know, you know, lift up any trees at Celtic. And at first he didn't. Um, 
but over time he, ha- he has became indispensable and you know he has a really decent shout for one of your top players or player of the year this year um, and I think that is quite similar to that discussion he was a little bit older than Doig when he came in I think what Taylor was about 21, 22 when we signed him so yeah. I think it does highlight if you've got a player that's 18, 19 and they're playing consistently week in, week out in this league and they're actually doing pretty well I think we might be as well not to kind of turn our nose up at it immediately but I think we've had the discussion a lot recently as well. It's a very fine balance because if a player comes in, you know, we use Calvin Ramsey as the other example we use a lot, he comes in and he really does excel for 10 games, but at that time it's probably a little bit too late. Um, so it is very difficult. It's a very difficult balance and we want to hit that sweet spot. Basically, we don't want to sign any of the ones that turn out to be right rotten and we want the ones that are really good, but we want to have seen them do it long enough that we can trust they're really good. And I think that's when sometimes our transfer policy and our budget maybe impacts it a little bit. The idea of us spending six million in Calvin Ramsey six months ago, people would have scoffed at. In a year's time, people will probably be saying that's one of the, it's a crazy piece of business not to do. That's just the nature of it, unfortunately. So delighted for Doig. I thought he was really good at Hibs. And if, if you would have had him for a million, I would have probably taken a punt on him. But that's not how it works. Unfortunately, you can't decide, I'll take a punt on him. You need to believe in the player. You need to sell it to the player because they're not taking a punt. They're making probably the biggest decision of their, of their career. So there's a bit of a disconnect there as well, I think. I would like... Sorry, Keenan. Just quickly, I think we saw that exact thing Alan's talking about with the um, St Mirren lad um, who we pitched the B team to. And I think that is that is the big problem, isn't it? When you've got... When you've got the B team there and you don't feel these guys are ready, you, you want them playing every week, but you don't feel they're quite ready to make, contribute seriously to the first team every week. Um, but these, as I say, these are young, ambitious guys. They are not going to, they're not going to be content with the B team. They're not, and they're not going to be content with you know, fifteen, twenty appearances. Most of those as a sub. Um, I think this is also they they know their uh, value now as they've been seen by by what the St. Middle lad did, I've forgotten his name, and also what these other guys are doing by going elsewhere. They, they know they can get to a good calibre of club where they play every week. And I think that complicates it for Celtic. Um, you know, this is a new situation that's really arisen over the last few years where we it does feel like we either have to commit both the, the, the transfer fee and the promise of game time to these guys, like serious game time, um, where they are not just, they don't just come on for sub appearances, like used to be when we have like Chris Killen or something, where they just play a handful of games and they're content because they're at a club like Celtic. I think that era is gone. Um, and, the other, and the other thing is both the transfer fee and the game time. And I'm not sure whether whether we want to do that because that might mean the quality of the squad declines or at least a, um, a little bit. So I do wonder whether we're just going to have to be in this situation where a lot of the best Scottish talent does go abroad because they they have a better offer financially or in terms of their squad value. And we do just um, recruit from elsewhere because there is better value there and there's a better calibre player. And I think a lot, and I, I realised a lot of people might be frustrated with that or find that depressing because for, for decades, so many brilliant Scottish players, so many brilliant Irish players, they, they've come through at Celtic, they come from other clubs that we sign. I do wonder if this is just a new situation. It could be entirely wrong and things could be radically different in two years, but at the moment it's sort of starting to sort of pivot that way. Yeah. Alan? 
I think you maybe as well seen, you know, it's, it's right to point out that example. And I think you've seen similar with Aaron Hickey as well. It's almost, there, there comes a legitimacy with other teams in Europe being interested in players, especially players that are, well, A, where on your books and B, you're potentially interested in. Because you you see it about, you know, Bologna, Verona, looking at players and immediately there's a panic sets in it and that is the default because yeah. you don't want to be the club that passes up on an option. You know, and Hickey, obviously it's, it was a big deal. He then went to Brentford. I think though you have to accept that, see if you don't believe in that player. If Aaron Hickey would have came here, that that doesn't mean he would have became a £20 million player because if he would have sat on the bench, he didn't have the game time, he might not have developed in the same way, so there wouldn't be Premier League interest. So I think there does need to be that acceptance that if you don't believe in the player, if you don't think they're right for you at that specific time, even if they go for £25, £30 million pounds two years down the line, it's not that linear journey and you have to accept that it wasn't right for you at that time, so it, it does pass you by. So I think what Kieran's saying is maybe it's about accepting sometimes that even though we're not Bayern Munich, we don't just gobble up the best talent from the league because we've got the finances to do. And if they work, great. And if they don't, then it's fine. We'll sell them back to one of the other clubs anyway. It doesn't work like that here. If a player comes to Celtic for £2 million, the likelihood of him going to any other club in the league if he fails for anything less than a couple of hundred thousand is there. So there isn't the resale value. So I think there has to be an acceptance of the dynamics of the market and that Look, if there is a prodigious young player and he wants to come here and we believe in him, absolutely go and get him. But if they're not, and if they're not the right fit for you at that time, don't just buy them because they're Scottish and they're playing well in the league. It's you know you need to work with what you've got. So I think there is there's two sides to it. As much as you want all the best players, if they're not right for you, if you don't believe in them, there's nothing to say that they would have that same journey and become a top player like you know Hickey did at um, Bologna and then moved on. It might not have happened here for him. So you need to kind of. You need to accept that a little bit, I think, is, is probably what I'm trying to kind of argue. You can't buy everybody as well. I know that's a really obviously dead easy thing to say, but you just can't buy every player from every league. You can't have this huge squad as well. So all, all really valid points. Dylan Reed was the young man from St Mirren. Um, Kieran, just to confirm that. Uh, great I, co- I, I tell you what, Christopher, Kieran mentioned the World Cup at the start and obviously we are missing an absolute barnstorming of a game here. It's three each. Oh fuck is it? Oh, when I left, it was it was a one nil. Cameron Serbia. It was it was three one Serbia, and then we started recording. It's now three each. So great, <laughs> great timing on this. The best game of the World Cup. Um, brilliant. Rigobert. Uh, this afternoon to look forward to. Rigobert songs, the manager of Cameroon. Yes. He yeah, he's he's only forty six. He's only six years older than me. That's terrifying. Anyway, uh, so look, look what he's done with himself. There's a Monday morning thought for you. Nice and cheery. I don't know. You, you should manage a World Cup team. <laughs> what the That's fuck? That's what I'm saying. Uh, the cynic agenda of the week. Uh, thanks for that, Alan. Making me feel... Um worthless uh cynic agenda for the week uh, you're currently listening to the agenda which drops every monday at 1 p.m tomorrow we've got the review with uh, graham and christian they'll be looking over the world cup and some other things wednesday we've got the celtic women's football show that will be covering the game at the weekend uh, the celtic and rangers game but also looking ahead as well thursday we've got the cynic live uh, myself uh, Chris Armani and Barry Gallagher were doing a, a kind of fun uh, feature. Um, we've got that coming up on Thursday, so look out for that. There'll be emails to links and stuff to that, so don't worry about that. Uh, Friday, we've got the weekend update, as always. Saturday, I've, I'm caught in between two features to put out, so I've just put mystery feature 
Um, so you will we'll we'll put out a, a, a fun feature on Saturday. Um, and uh, as I say, I'm caught between two, so we'll get there. Uh, and Sunday we've got the transfer committee unfiltered. Uh, Kieran Devlin, Graham McKay. Christian Wolf, uh, that should be fantastic. Looking forward to that. Okay, great stuff. Question two we got uh, it's from uh, Stephen. Uh, with the news that Rangers have offered uh, Beal a three-year contract, what is the right terms for a new manager? This is just, we just don't have to stay too much longer on this. I, I think it's it's an interesting one though. Uh, Celtic have dealt with a, a rolling contract for for quite a while since Martin O'Neill. Um, then if the, the manager impresses and it's a good fit. You know, we saw with Brendan Rodgers, you give him a three, four year deal, you get compensation. I'm sure we've talked about the idea that maybe Ange, hopefully we could get him locked down. But again, it's kind of the, the partnership's working. Rangers have given Beal a three year contract. Oh, well, that's the that's the rumour of the offer. What is the best sort of terms for a new manager? We'll start with yourself, Kieran. I think it depends on the club and manager. Um that's a really cop out answer. <laughs> yes, very much. <laughs> I, I think for me, for me, I think um, I actually don't mind Celtic's um, tactic with it. I think there, there's a degree of business sense where you you know there's as, as you know as as we well know they are rather averse to risk, and you don't want to tie yourself down into a long contract where you then have to pay the manager five six million quid or whatever, wherever it might be. I think the rolling contract m- makes sense. But then I do think what we did with Rogers and what we've been trying to do with Ange, um, you know, I think there's sort of like the elephant in the room is that we were going to offer the contract, but that hasn't been signed <laughs> um, for for whatever reason. Um, don't want to speculate on it, but um, like, <laughs> uh, but, um, I think I think that works. I think you you know you're it's almost like a try before you buy. Uh, <laughs> Um, style or like a you know you get a, a month three of Apple Plus or something you know you get you you do have a, a look and see whether this guy's going to work out and whether you buy into him and then you you double down and commit. Now I, I think you know what we saw with with Rogers' contract was the length of it and the value you got from it. So I, I think that's that's what works for me. I think like if you are like that certain this guy is going to either be a massive success in the long run or be such a success that a club's going to come in and buy him out of his contract and you get a decent amount of compensation. I think that's a good way to go about it. And I think it works for Celtic situation. Um, and I think it's generally worked out in the past. There was the, you know, there was that thing about Lennon's compensation during the 10 season um, and everything like that. But imagine if that guy was on another three or four years and <laughs> trying to deal with him paying for his holiday during the COVID season. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think for in Celtic situation, I think every club has their own specific ones and I think it makes sense for Celtic given how risk averse we are as a business um, and it does work out. I think you are going to, you know, we are feeling a bit on, on edge about it because Ange, you know, he is a, still on that rolling contract, but I think we just have to wait and see whether that changes um, or not. Uh, Alan, what about yourself? You know, as Keenan's highlighted some good points about you know it being a good fit and you know try before you buy almost in a way. What's your thoughts? I think the the comfort that comes from you know a three four year deal is very short lived. Um, if Ange signed a four year deal tomorrow, I think it would guarantee that he's here probably for this season and probably next. 
but it's not dissimilar to when a player signs a new deal. I'm, I'm minded to think back to, you know, the days of when, you know, Stan Petrov, for example, signing a deal, everyone's excited, but you know, it's... He's leaving. He's signing that yeah, of money, yeah. It's And I think even with managers, it's even more, I think it's even more rare. You, the, the likelihood, the Brendan Rodgers example is a, a great example, and it's a really, but it's an outlier. It's very rare for us to have a manager that I think a, a team is willing to spend, what was it, a total package of about £9 million for Brendan Rodgers. The likelihood of that happening, again, you know, it's a great recruitment decision, but he was a very specific case of someone who had managed at the top level in England, but had just fallen short, but was still very, very young. You know, Ange Postacoglu, I think circumstances are very, very different. He's a very, very exciting coach, but he's a very, at, he's a very different stage in his career to where you know, Brendan Rodgers was. He was quite clearly seen as a young manager who had a long future ahead of him and needed a big project. I think Ange Postacoglu, you could say the same about, but he is significantly older as well. So I think it's very different. And I don't think it's, I don't think you should give your manager a contract on the basis that you want to be compensated well if he leaves. I think it is just more about securing the short-term future. Um, And I think when, when I read the question, about what's important in terms of contract terms. To, to be honest, I think the, the terms of the contract, the length of the contract, don't really matter at all to me as a fan. I think what's more important is that the, the, the vision is aligned between both the manager and the club. That's far more important than whether the manager's on you know, 800,000 a year, whether it's a rolling contract or whether it's a four-year deal. It's more important that they both understand and in an honest way, what they both want to achieve, that they both have a significant discussion about budgets, targets. Those are the kind of discussions that I would feel are much more relevant to succeeding than whether, you know, the managers get a two or three year deal. The Ange thing, obviously, Kieran mentioned that I'm fairly relaxed about it. If he signed a three year deal, as I say, I think it would mean that he'd probably get another two transfer windows in him. But it's, it's very, very short term with managers, I think circumstances can change very quickly so uh, to be honest if he signed a, I'd be delighted if he signed a three year deal today but by the same token I, I don't think it would mean that he's going to be here for three years it's very very similar to players so no I, I think largely what I'm saying is that whatever managers in the clubs agree I'm, I'm fine with it's more about that vision and that they both have kind of a shared idea of what they can do and that it's realistic from both parties I, I do I personally just think that you know if if you have if he's the guy, whoever it is, whatever club it is, if he's the guy that you want and you've agreed what the vision's going to be, then sign him up. Just sign him up. But I also understand the idea that if that vision, if you put, if you sign someone to a four-year contract and after year one, it's quite clear that they can't deliver what they've promised, <laughs> it's a lot of money to pay them out. So I, I can see both sides of it, you know? And I think just the other thing to point out as well, and not to uh, make light of... Um, the the Rangers situation but see if a manager signs a four year deal says all the right things for months and then decides that they want out they're out um, all then you have to do is you might get financially compensated if they're wanted if they're not wanted and they want out though then you just need to come to some sort of agreement because it's very it's the same as having a player that doesn't want to be there you might think oh we'll play hardball but it's 10 times worth it. If you get a manager that doesn't feel his future's there, then you do, you need to get them out as quickly as possible. Um, it's, yeah. So I think in terms of contracts, it's, you know, whatever they want, whatever keeps a manager happy, basically in the short term, 
is the best for all parties, I suppose. They, they are the ones that hold the power. Yes, absolutely. Uh, moving on to other Celtic news. Uh, the big news this week is that Alistair Johnson, um, the fullback, the uh, Canadian fullback, apparently a, a deal has been agreed. There, everything's kind of up in the air, a lot of speculation. Uh, the report is it's £3 million and that he's going to get 10% of that. He is 24. His mum's uh, from the north of Ireland, so she's got a UK passport and therefore there won't be any work permit issues, which is a, a big bonus. Um, he was quoted as saying, it's an honour just to be linked with them. My phone's been blowing up. To be linked with a club like Celtic is obviously something I think every footballer is excited by. It's one of the most passionate passionate fan bases in the world. It's a club that even people who don't follow football know about. I'm super excited to get linked. But right now, the focus is just solely on the national team. Um, it's an interesting one because... He is. Alan, Alan, what are you going to say? Go on. Go on. I, I'm just, I, I just feel like I should interject and point out that you might want to not spin the British passport for the north of Ireland as a positive. Even in this scenario that has worked out really famously well for us, that perhaps it might be well, best that um, over over the longer term future that maybe a united Ireland doesn't involve British passports. Well, my, I, I don't know. It's up to you if you want to qualify it. Well, my, my, my mother's from Donegal and she's got a, a British passport and an Irish passport. So... That's fine. Uh, I believe in an independent. I, I believe in a... The, Moving swiftly on. I believe in the reunification of Ireland. Jesus. Um, I, I had something in my head and I was reading off a, a wee bit as well. I've, I've blown that. Um, but this is a player that has obviously, you know, the, the games that he's played, well, specifically the game against uh, Belgium, or, yeah, Belgium, uh, he had a really good game. We can talk about the game, obviously, with... You know, all the Juranovic stuff as well. Um, we can talk about that. But he's 24 years old. He's coming from um, the MLS. He's kind of had a, a, quite a rise. Kieran, is this the profile? Is this the market? Is this Does this tick your boxes? Is there any kind of trepidation about this signing? Um, so I, I watched both games with him. Um, it looks all right. <laughs> I don't think I've been as blown away as some people have. Um, I think he's more of a look. Again, this is just judging off two games. I think Christian spoke about it and what Christian has told me because he has all the access to. I don't have access to Wisecout or anything anymore, um, so I can't really watch him apart from just those two games. But he seems more like a Ralston than a Juranovic. Looks quite solid defensively, but technically quite limited. Looks quite limited going forward. Um, I think it's a funny one. Like obviously, again, this is just the caveat of over two games. Hopefully, he'll prove me very wrong, and he can be be he'll be brilliant. But he doesn't look like he fits the uh, Ange right back um, because he doesn't really dribble. He doesn't. He doesn't always. You know, he's not like crisp, ambitious passing. Again, this could be something that it could be coached into him. Maybe he proves it a bit differently. But it does seem. Yeah, I, I, he doesn't scream like an Ange right back at me, but. He, he does look defensively sound and as a profile that you want. We want to be shopping in these markets. There is value in the MLS. Three million pound. If he if if he if he looks good, then three million pounds is a really good deal. But I'm not. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll wait. I'll, I'll reserve judgment on him. But from what I've seen of him, I'm not. I'm I'm not convinced he will be a really successful and right back. But again, I really hope. And proved a complete mug. Uh, it's it's hard to kind of, as you see, Kieran, over those two games. It's it's kind of. I always think that judging players on international tournaments is just 
a false economy. You're not going to... There are plenty of... You know, look at Andy Robertson. He's absolutely a... If you watched Andy Robertson, if you were scouting Andy Robertson on the basis of him playing for Scotland, he's appalling. He's terrible. But in reality, he's a Champions League winning left-back. Um, Alan, what's your kind of thoughts on, on him? Profile work for you? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably say I'm a wee bit more optimistic. I was quite enthused by him. I think I'm putting a lot of stock in maybe similar to some of the, the Japanese players that were brought in as well, that their development doesn't maybe follow quite the same age kind of profile as, say, a Scottish player or a European-based player, um, that, you know, they maybe bloom just a little bit later based on, you know, the amount of professional football they play. I, I have been quite encouraged by him. I think he's he, he, he's looked good. Maybe does lack a little bit of that composure, especially in the final third when you're looking at maybe good delivery, but... You know, um, I think initially for the kind of fees that were reported, I was looking at it as a no-brainer. Total package of three million based on incentives maybe is probably a little bit higher than that. But no, I've been quite encouraged by him. And I, it has been great just watching a player play in a major tournament and with the knowledge that Celtic are kind of about to sign him. It feels like a real, real throwback. <laughs> um, I kind of thought the days of us watching like a major tournament and I was about to sign a player that's playing in that tournament were kind of largely gone. But that has been quite nice. That does feel very um, did, very retro. Did we sign Ezeguiri before the World Cup and we watched him at the World Cup as like a Celtic player who hadn't hooked up with a club yet? Or was it the same situation? It was Juarez, wasn't it? I think Ezeguiri was after. I thought Juarez was a guy we signed during the World Cup or something. Oh, ah, okay, cool. Yeah, I, I, I love that sort of... I mean, I, I was thinking yeah. back to... Was it Mialbi in 2000? That's when they did not sign him not long after that. Alan, or was that before? Alan, it was after. Mialbi was 99, was wasn't it? Sorry, Sorry yeah. 99. It was the 99, but he scored against England in September yes. and then he signed for Celtic in October. But the, ah, right, the England okay. game, it was just that. It was a qualifier for Euro 2000. So you're, you're kind of on the right track. It's, it is just very pleasant watching... It gives me a reason to watch Canada, to be honest, because I had no. I did have to quickly check to see if Scott Arfield was still playing for Canada just to make a decision as to whether I was going to watch it. Um, because I know, I think David Witherspoon yeah, he's made in, the squad. He's in the squad. So yeah. I was thinking Arfield obviously elected to play for Canada because it was shite and couldn't get a game for Scotland. So, um, but he's he's not in the squad, so I don't know if he's retired or he's not been picked or whatever. So it was all it was all go for Canada. Um, and I was I was disappointed to see them um, go out in spectacular fashion. Uh, I I thought it was quite interesting. People's um, and again, it, social media we're not going to make take take too much kind of to do with it overall. But like, um, people were really quick to stick the boot into Juranovic yesterday after you know one of the quickest, fastest players in the world kind of you know ghosts in behind them. Um, but they weren't quick to give him the compliment when he set up the 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 goal for for Croatia. I just thought it was quite quite funny. If, if you're looking at that and you're looking at, you know, who, who would you rather sign? You'd rather sign the, the Croatian right back. And do you know what? He's already our player. So how, how have you found have you found that kind of how have you found your at the World Cup, Kieran? I thought he's been decent, yeah. He didn't make that mistake, but he didn't put a foot wrong for the rest of the game, and he was absolutely brilliant <laughs> for the um, for the second second goal. Um, again, like as you say, like if you are going to pick which one you'd prefer to be your right back, but well, I'd choose Juranovic all day. 
And it's also because of his, again, again, I don't want it, it's been two games, I don't want to cause it, but it's also the attributes he has. He is just an, an, a natural and fullback in the same way Taylor is, in the same way Bernabeu might be. I'm just not convinced. Johnston's skill set, the type, I think he'll be, a, he could be a really decent player, but in terms of the one-touch passing, dribbling into the middle of the pitch, you know, really ambitious range of passing, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I think Juranovic was the, the natural and right back in that game yesterday. Then again, you know, Johnston was more of a right-sided centre-back. He could have been, you know, it might have been passed a bit more possession stuff if his role had changed. And he has played, you know, he's played some wing-back. He's a bit more of a utility player. That might be part of the appeal in signing him, but I, I, yeah, it's weird. I, I, I'm just not, I, I'm not on Twitter. I've deleted it off my phone. I've not tweeted since I left my job. So <laughs> I, I, I haven't seen any of that stuff, but I just find it Really odd. I think it's the same thing when we, you know, it was people just getting this idea of a of a player. It's the same thing when Ira is here and everyone just becomes their, you know, this. I would mention every, we always need at least one scapegoat. That's been Maeda and Janovic this year. It's been Iron and Cham in the past. Um, there's all it was Taylor last season for spells. There's always somebody who's just like the villain. I, I don't know what the impulse is there, but I don't want to psychoanalyze. The Twitter fan base or anything—it's just a—it's just a bit odd. I just find it a bit strange. Karen, you—you you should have been around in the nineties. You couldn't—you couldn't, he, couldn't he throw a stone without hitting a bloody scapegoat. I tell you, um, we joke for um for Barry and Bowd, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Alan, with the signing of your, uh, Johnson, obviously it's not been confirmed yet. But let's say it goes through in the next couple of days. Do you think that means that they're looking to move Juranovic on? Yeah, I think that's a fairly reasonable assessment to make. I don't think it would be. I don't think it would be as direct as you're going in January. I think you could see a scenario where, I think if there was a deal to be done in January, they wouldn't hesitate to do it. But I don't think there would be any rush to. You look at the contract he's on. Um, there's still enough time left in that. I think. Um, I think any urgency would maybe come from the players' side because I do think once you maybe get the impression that you are going to move on, you would just think why. Why don't I, I do it now as opposed to, you know, waiting six months, especially the ages that. So and that's, that's not a criticism um, at all. I think that's just if anyone listening or anything, if you make a decision that you're going to leave your job, you kind of then start making plans and you start trying to put it in motion as quickly as possible. So um, and I would think there's no better platform than a World Cup. And as Kieran says, I think he has actually done really well. He had a bit of a stinking start yesterday, but then he recovered really quickly. And just he was good at all the things he's normally good at. And he made maybe the mistake that we know he, you know, he's not great in there. He's not a great physical attacker of the ball. Um, and, you know, long direct balls to probably that side aren't the best. And when you've got, you know, Alfonso Davies attacking the ball, yeah, I mean, that that's going to happen. So I think he's been really good otherwise. So I, I could see it happening, whether it's in January or the summer, I'm not sure though. Um, I wouldn't mind it if Djanovic was to play a good part now and some of the key games we've got coming up because, I mean, obviously we'll talk more generally today, but you look at some of the games we've got coming up that he might miss out on depending on how things go in Croatia, um, with Croatia. It's, it's a really, there's some really significant away games in there and it would be nice to have the option of, um, you know, of bringing them back in. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't get the trying to punt him out the door as quickly as possible. He's a he's he's a quality fullback, probably one of the best fullbacks we've had, especially an area of the park since Lustig left where we had some interesting characters. Do people want to go back to John Joe Kenny? 
Yeah. A man who literally made the same mistake multiple times against Rangers from the halfway line. I'll never forget that. Nah, absolutely Clint. insane. Um, the, the thing so is, bad. with the, I, I love Juranovic. I really do. He's a guy I've taken to, and I, I know lots of people have, but I just, ticks all the boxes for me. I, I just, I'd like to hang on to him, but I can understand I, if... I don't, I don't know if you've seen the, sorry to interrupt, I don't know if you've seen the teammates with Cameron Carter-Vickers and Carlos Staffel. I, I, I meant to watch it, I didn't see it though. Um, I think one of the questions was who's the who's the singer in the squad but they couldn't really pick but they did decide it was Juranovic purely because he sings his own song or he did <laughs> sing his own song qu- quite a lot last year and I quite liked that there's nothing that says I'm a, my own biggest fan and singing a song about yourself about the change room um, so no I quite like it he's a good character he's a talented football player and he's really bought in here so I, I really don't get it he's been a little bit off form but when you've got a player that you know can get to that level, you, you don't criticise him for not being there. You make sure they get back to that level. So if he's here until the summer, I'd be more than happy with that. Yeah, me too, absolutely. Uh, we got a question from Brian. Uh, Brian asks, uh, and it's kind of tied in with the World Cup and everything, uh, with how Aaron Moy performed for Australia, does your opinion of him change going into the second half of the season? Um, Kieran? I mean, and you you probably hate him, to be fair, but let's... Uh, let's... <laughs> um, uh, no, not really. <laughs> Um, because it just gets, again it comes back to just like system suitability it's, we mentioned it a lot I think that he's, he's playing really well in the World Cup and the way Australia plays suits him yeah. and the way Celtic play doesn't doesn't really I think it's just that you know he's, he's a decent player very good technically he's got good he uses his body really well but he is just he just needs time on the ball and the midfield itself for this system and style to be a success you need to move the ball on quickly in that area of the pitch it's just I don't think he's he's playing well but I don't think those those are two like fundamental <laughs> truths that don't you know they don't uh, contradict each other so it's just it's, that's just the reality of it I just don't think he suits Andrew's system of play and you know it's just one of those things where a number of players we brought in the summer were very odd fits for the style of football that we play um, you know, with Seagrist and Jens as, as well, and Abelgard, <laughs> very clearly. Yeah, it's just it's just it's just a bit odd. Um, you know that Ange, you know Ange approved it. He, he knows Ange well. That's that's absolutely fine. But I I just don't think he suits the style of football we play. I think he has his uses. We've seen him, you know, in game like at Celtic Park when games are a bit more stretched and he's got more space to play his brilliant range of passing into. Then we've seen that really utilised effectively, but. I just think those types of games are t- too few and far between and you're going to have a lot more either high-intensity games in Europe or against low blocks where you need to one-touch very quick passing. Um, so I, I just, I, but I'm happy for him. Like he's doing, we're doing really well in Australia. I was chatting to my um, my Aussie pal during the game and he was absolutely off his face <laughs> in, in, in a Sydney, Sydney bar. Right. Um, having, having a great time and it was a brilliant perfor- team performance against Tunisia early. it was the sort of commitment you just you know very rarely see from Scotland and I really I really loved uh, I thought it was a really special moment that they did get a World Cup win and I think I was really chuffed for uh, my pal but all the Aussies yeah great stuff um, really good to see uh, him perform well uh, Alan I'd like to both agree and vehemently disagree with Kieran um, oh, on the Aaron Moy thing, I agree Jeez. largely on. <laughs> I agree largely on the suitability, the style. You know, his performances this season, some have been 
good. Some have been really not very good. But when I do look back at that first half of the season, given the injury, I, I'm absolutely delighted that we did bring him in um, because we hadn't kind of struggled to see how we would have navigated because David Turnbull was injured and then when he did come back and he struggled. And we've talked about that before, the Turnbull-Moy thing about you know, Moy's minutes probably minutes that really David Turnbull would be looking at and you know they had his development minutes there you know the game time he got last season but if we hadn't had I think we would have really because you would have then been looking at either Adiguchi, Abogar or McCarthy then coming in and playing in that six and you know the way we did play prior to the break you know not at our best but still managing wins I feel like that one more loss potentially would have been you know could have been the straw that broke the camel's back so I don't think Moy's um, performance at the World Cup changed my opinion of him. I was absolutely delighted for him. But I think it just highlights, it really is a, for a free transfer, is a very reliable signing that's given you some really, really important contributions this season. I don't think, though, going forward, that, you know, that's maybe where I start agreeing with Kieran. When you look forward, you know, I think he's he's not a player that you'd be looking at building upon, you know, over the next two, three years. But he's for a free transfer, he's, he's really come in and he has made an extremely valuable contribution. Which yeah. I'd like to place on record. Yes, it has been placed. Uh, it's uh, it's been typed down by the wee person who has the wee typewriter. Um, minuted, minuted. Question, and uh, we'll start. We'll give it. Get, bring this case question to you, Alan. Um, question from Michael. Uh, with Ange diving into markets less familiar to Celtic fans, obviously with <laughs> Japan, uh, would South America, Ecuador specifically? be a potential place to check. Uh, this maybe comes on the back of some quotes from Chris Sutton. Uh, I'll just uh, give give these quotes. Postacoglu, this is from Chris Sutton. Postacoglu says he is looking at every corner of the globe and you can see with the recruitment of Alexandro Bernabe from Argentina, there are other markets out there to get into. For example, I looked at the Ecuador squad during their encounter with Quetar and thought they had some good players. Brighton have been upwardly mobile in that score. Um, and then he talks about the players uh, that are at... Um, Brighton, there are surely players just on the fringes of that Ecuador squad, such as Hitati is for Japan, who have talent, youth and ability, who are a bit available for peanuts. It's just finding the right ones. Um, thoughts on that, Alan? Well, I've seen that question in a rundown and I really hoped you would go to Kieran first. <laughs> <that one. laughs> I, have no I genuinely, my knowledge of the Ecuadorian uh, football setup is, um, you'll be surprised to hear, limited. To none. <laughs> um, and I I'll be honest as well, I feel like Chris Sutton's knowledge of the Ecuadorian football and set up might also be limited. So other than a throwaway remark, I, I really don't know. So I would love to give you a bit of fluff here for two and a half minutes and then hand it over. But I would just be talking completely out my backside. The, the points are valid though about Bernabeu, about the players we've looked at. And we do look at other markets. I think Ange mentioned other leagues as well back in January, which got pretty much every... Um, Celtic con- content creator scouring the Iranian, you know, Premier League, and just looking at everything, trying to work out as a talent. And this World Cup probably has flagged up that non non European football nations do have real talent. You know, look at that Saudi Arabia result, for example. But it's having a foothold in these countries. It's not something you can just do overnight. And decide you like a player, we'll bring them. There's yeah. a lot of work that goes into it. Um, so you you need to give me some time, and I'll come back to you on the the, the specifics of Ecuador. Unfortunately, uh, it's a good song by Robert Miles. No, it's not. I can't remember. Um, Kieran, 
Uh, yeah, well, like um, Mark Lawwell, his speciality was these types of markets when he was at CFG. This, the, you know, S- South America, North America as well. Um, I'd be quite curious about how much input he had into Johnston, for example. Um, now that after the summer, we're, <laughs> we'll be, we're relying on, well, well, we'll come on to it in the transfer committee, but he had very little input in the summer as he was still at CFG <laughs> for almost all of it um, after they made him. <laughs> run down his entire uh, notice period. Um uh funny funny how that mu- how much like a small petty decision can dictate an entire transfer window's success. Jesus. <laughs> um but yeah I think I, I think we definitely this we'll see more of this. I think we'll and I, as I mentioned earlier when we we're discussing like the young Scottish players, I think this is where you are going to see your value for money. You know I th- I, I, I think getting these players like in Ecuador and I think maybe there's always you know the uh, you know the gut instinct when you see a team like Ecuador maybe um exceed expectations and you're thinking well they 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 have a talented squad we know some of them are at Brighton some of them are in La Liga but there must be other good players there I think that's people have been doing that at World Cup's time immemorial forever I think but I think I think you know we do have. It's not just about players who are doing well at the World Cup. We do have like the advanced, you know, with the analytics software as, as it is. And I interviewed um, a, a South American scout about this when I was at the Athletic, and he said everybody has the analytics software now. You know, like a League Two team in England will know of a decent player in Ecuador. The difference is the infrastructure to actually go and get them and yeah. the appeal to go and get them. You know, that's that's the big difference. Um, so everybody, everybody, and their Granny will be aware of these, of these like sort of hidden gems. It is just ide- properly identifying them, scouting them to the extent that you, you. It's not just data that you do know they're they are good. You do have in person scouting. You do have video scouting, and um, it's all part of the bigger package. And you know, as I mentioned before, I think Mark. So there's the 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 Lawwell baggage that comes with it, but he is he does have real credibility in in his role. So I'm I'm quite curious. I'll have no idea anymore <laughs> about what impact he's actually having because it's not my job. So I have no idea what impact he's made so far, what impact he'll have over the next few transfer windows beyond, you know, an educated guess. But I do think that he, I'm quite optimistic. Those are the types of markets we will be looking in. And I, I sincerely believe those are the types of markets we should be looking in instead of, you know, English Championship or even the Scottish Premiership. If we're wanting both value for money and good players, you know. I mentioned it earlier. I do think there is Champions League quality players out there for three to five million quid. We just have to scout them and identify them and bring them in efficiently and quickly, and then give them a coach to stand over the range. That's the way you get it. I, I, I just can't see us ever spending eight nine million quid on you know two or three big players next summer. Um, so this is the way we have to do it instead. Uh, I just love that idea, uh, as Alan kind of mentioned, of Chris Sutton with his wee notepad out ready to write his wee article um, and was like, um, what should I talk about this week? Uh, Ecuador. Like, yeah, Ecuador. That that seems like a team that Celtic could buy players from. Because it is kind of like, um, don't get me wrong, see when I was watching that, uh, the Qatar game and I was like watching in a Valencia, I'm like, get him up. Get him signed in. Get, yay. 33. Probably get him cheap. Come on. You know, stick him up front. He'd score goals in the Champions League. Um, I think he plays in Turkey. He does, yeah. No, right enough. Uh, I, which I, means 
he is well out of our reach. Um, did, just out of curiosity, did any of you see the, the incident with the, the corner flag and the goalkeeper yesterday? Uh, what what game was it? I don't know. I just <laughs> there's so many games crack, crack, cracked over that. No, it wasn't in the World Cup. Um, it, it must be a lower league game, but I, I I think it was in Turkey. A fan ran on, stole the corner flag, and then used it as a weapon to assault the goalkeeper with. Jesus. And I did look at it and think, ah, oh, do you know what I see? If that was Barky, I would probably be on his side of the fan. I really would. But he really catches him flush. If you haven't seen it, obviously it's terrible and, uh, you know, don't condone it, but go and watch it. <laughs> Jesus. Um, let's go to uh, let's go to the Colt Report. After a weekend off, Celtic B returned to Lone League action on Saturday as they faced off against Caledonian Braves. Kicking off a run of four home fixtures in a row at the Excelsior Stadium, the boys took on the 11th place side, looking to bounce back from a defeat to them firmly the last time out. Dara Dean Steve McManus were able to welcome back several regulars from international duty, as the likes of Kenzie Carr, Ben McPherson and Matthew Anderson returned to the squad. Joey Dawson also took his place in the starting lineup, whilst it was a first start for a young central defender, Lenny Agbear. The game kicked off for Celtic enjoying much of the possession and neither side really testing out the goalkeepers. But a dramatic 90 minutes of action kicked into gear after the 20 minute mark as the hoops opened the scoring. The boys hit the Braves on the break, running forward at pace and after some nice interchanges of play between Bruno Davidson and Dawson, Ben Quinn was on hand to tuck the ball home into the back of the net at the back post. However, 10 minutes later the away side struck back as Zach Butterworth pounced upon a mistake playing out from the back by Toby Oloriemi to level up the scoring. Celtic didn't let that go affect them though as they produced a goal of their own shortly after. After providing for the opener, Joey Dawson turned goal scorer as he rounded off another good move on the break to hand the hoops the lead. Once again though, just before the break, Caledonian Braves showed their fighting spirit, leveling things up at 2-2 from a corner. Going into the second half, it took around 20 minutes in for the young Celtics to get themselves back in front as Dawson delivered his second goal of the afternoon from the penalty spot. Just minutes later and Celtic looked to be on their way to all three points as they stretched their advantage to two goals with a Ben Quinn cross from the left taking a wicked deflection and ending up in the back of the net. However, the game wasn't done there and it ended up being an extremely frustrating end to the 90 minutes for the boys. Within the space of two minutes, Caledonian Braves were able to level up the scoring for a third time in the game, making it four each thanks to two goals from the penalty spot. Both looked to be contentious decisions with the referee making some harsh calls in the penalty penalty area. As both sides pushed for a winner late on, it ultimately ended in a draw with the two teams coming away with a point apiece from the eight goal thrower. It was quite the afternoon for the young Celtic side who had actually put in a strong enough showing to take home all three points, but they will be frustrated to come away with just the one. Next up is another visit to Ayrshire Stadium in league action this Wednesday evening as the boys take on Bowness United. Thanks as always to our good friend Lewis Laird. Uh, he's on Twitter, LewisLaird01, covering the Colt team, the B team, and uh, the lone players doing a fantastic fantastic job, so check him out. Um, I just wanted to, we sent out a, a, a message, an email today about Celtic captains and kind of four words that define a Celtic captain. And we were inundated uh, by, uh, you know, uh, submissions of, of people's kind of comments. Um, we got a Uh, an email from Michael Quigley what four words make a Celtic captain hard to put it down to four words but perhaps committed to our cause a man must be a sail on and off the field otherwise he has no value to the club captains are no different if anything they've got to ensure that those all around them conduct themselves with examples set by great men like Mealy, Steen, McNeil, Burns and everything they do while they are representative of Celtic excellent uh, great kind of uh, uh, description there and and I kind of went through all of the submissions and the four most common words were passion, commitment, leader, and loyalty. Um, so thank you to everyone who sent in a submission, whether it be WhatsApp or, or email. I uh, really, really appreciate it. Um, this is all based on, 
on the fact that uh, Billy McNeil had a statue commemorating his legacy at Celtic um, in his hometown of Bells Hill. So Billy McNeil, just one of the greatest captains, players, men, uh, managers. Um, he really is the the kind of the, the standard bearer for what a Celtic captain should be. But I just wanted to get your kind of thoughts on uh, what should a Celtic captain, what would be the four words that would emphasise it? Alan, we'll start with yourself. Well, I think that obviously there's there's a lot that have been mentioned there that are fairly reasonable and aren't exactly what you'd expect. But I think just at a more practical level, I think the one that jumps out at me that you could use in a number of ways is consistent. Um, you need to be, I think you need to be consistent both in your performance levels, as in I always talk about that minimum standard. I don't think you should, your captain can't be a player that, you know, he's top class one week and then just completely anonymous the next. That's why you tend not to see wingers, for example, as captains. It, it does tend to be those central players, reliable. So I think consistent in the performance, but also consistent in the behaviours, you know, off the pitch. You know, you mentioned all those words there are qualities you'd want a captain, but I think you need your captain to be someone that you know what you're getting and that you know what to expect from them so that that then... Because you're going to have a squad, and I, I get it, captain should set an example to every other player, but not every player will follow the example. You'll have players that are terrible trainers, but are good players, you'll have it vice versa. But your captain should be a constant, it should be consistent in their behaviour, their performance, um, and then they can build from that. So I think if you were trying to pick out a captain in any squad, and not just Celtic, they need to be someone that you you believe that they are they have consistency of behaviour and of performance um, and certainly a minimum standard that, you know, they can then try and, you know, set an example with. So consistent is probably the first one that came to mind for me. What about yourself, Caden? Any other words that kind of come to mind? I think, I think resilient is the other one because I think, I think that was the one, the big question mark for me over, over McGregor um, and he completely dispelled it and proved, proved me an idiot was that, that, that winner's mentality. Um, you know, Alan is spot on that you need to be steady. You, you do need to be where everyone else is losing their cool. And I think this is it's tied into I think it's all tied into this idea that when if you go a goal down early on in the game, you don't panic because you know at Celtic you are still expected to ninety nine times out of ten you're still expected to win that game. And that is your your resolve. So you don't. You try if you're in the middle of the park, whether it's that centre back or it's in the midfield, you steady the play. You know you're you're not rushing passes. You're not um, making stupid decisions on and off the ball. You're just keeping the tempo aggressive, and you're leading. And you're you know leading by example and just playing the natural way, um, but doing it with urgency. I think that's what McGregor and Scott Brown, in, in my lifetime, have both been brilliant at. Is just Taking the game by the scruff of the neck, but not in a you know stupid two you know double uh, two foot in someone kind of way, and just knowing that if if uh, there's going to be adversity over a sixty game season, there's going to be shit performances that you do need to just show resilience and just get the win, and you do that by being the authority in games. You do it by taking by being assertive without being stupid, and I think that's the big thing for me that. You really, you know, one of the points you made is that do we overstate the importance of the captain? 
I think to an extent, I think there's a lot of sentimentality about it. We can get really saccharine about, you know, I think uh, the, the the club on the other side of the city, you know, always talk about dignity and how America, they should, I don't know, wear a fucking Navy suit while they're going, taking a dump. I don't know. Um, <laughs> like, I think oh, that's all just nonsense. The stuff that's actually, actually practical and actually means something. I think we can get sentimental about what the captain means, but in terms of actual practical benefits from it, I think Brown and McGregor have shown that time and again, where they they never, even if other players are losing a resolve or there's a shit performance, they are absolutely committed to getting the three points, no matter any way they can. And I think that's where you really see it, you know, tangibly. That's what a captain means to me. Beautiful. Kieran, summed up beautifully, and a little bit of humour there with the idea of Michael Beale doing a shit in a suit. Great stuff. <laughs> um, Alan, just as we're finishing up, a um, couple of your favourite Celtic captains? Um, well, I'm t- trying to get back and track after that, that image that's in my head. <laughs> then I was trying to think of Rangers employees in different various scenarios that we'd be uncomfortable with. And the first one, I don't know why I came to my head, was bowling. What would they do if they went bowling? Because obviously they would have to remove the brogues and put on bowling shoes, which would just look ludicrous in a suit. But um, a blue yeah, suit. We, we can re- we can revisit that. Um, I, look, Scott Brown's is pretty difficult to compete with what he achieved over a period of time, and I never thought Scott Brown would. If you said to me in two thousand and eleven, twelve, Scott Brown could go on and become what he did, I probably would have highly doubted it. Um, so that is a real credit, and I think he has a fairly obvious answer of someone that's just lived through that. But I'll try and move away from it and try and avoid that recency bias and allow that time to you know, find his, his kind of way in there. I, I always loved, and I, I really like Jackie McNamara as a captain. I really, there's another player in that era, but I think you're going to pick him, so I'll leave that to you. But I really like Jackie Mack as a captain. Um and I think it was maybe just, I loved him as a player. I loved the type of player he was. Great fullback, really adventurous, really liked to get forward. Um, and I just felt like it was, he had a lot of those qualities that we probably have kind of ran through there. Um, and yeah, probably not a, certainly not an obvious choice. And we've just been talking about um, the statue of Billy McNeil in Bell's Hill. So to go from, Billy McNeil to Jackie McNamara is quite something, but it is personal to you, it's each to their own. So I, I really liked, I think he was only, maybe only a year, a year and a half, yeah. I think, when he was club captain. But yeah, I was just, I, I really liked him that time. I was disappointed the way it kind of panned out from him. I know he's talked about that, that a lot as well. Um, I'm not entirely sure, I believe, his version of events when, when he talks about it, but that's maybe one for another day. But yeah, I always liked Jackie Mack as, as captain. Yeah, Kieran, yourself? I, I, I do have a soft spot for with Jackie McNamara's. And I'd, I do have a fight. I do I quite like just that someone like Stephen McManus as well. There's just somebody who's just like, just that you're not a very good player. But I think, and I don't think he quite had the Brown and McGregor doggedness, partly because he was shit at passing. So it's not like he tried, he could really dictate play. I think it's a bit different when you are, you know, a Brown McGregor type. But I, he, I think he had that resilience as well, that I always say. You know, the number of times he scored late winners very grubby late winners, which made them even better. I think he really bought into it. And obviously, you know, he was a very limited player, but he absolutely had that that winner's mentality to his game. And I think because he was he wasn't a great a great footballer, it just made it something a bit 
I don't know. I think there's. I love having a player of McGregor's quality as your captain. There's something quite special about it. Um, but at the same time, I also have some fondness for players that are there just because, almost entirely because they have that resilience and they have that character rather than because they are one of your best players. I think there's something quite special about that at the same time. Yeah, I, I like my captain to be called Paul, I'll be honest with you. Um, whether it be McStay or Lambert. Um, but yeah, I, I like a, I like a central midfield captain. Uh, center half captain is good as well. Um, I was just thinking about, um, and I, we'll, kinda, we'll finish up, but thinking about strikers that we've had that have been captain, obviously Larson was captain. Um, but in our kind of, kind of time of watching Celtic, it's usually... Usually centre halves are central midfielders. We very rarely get strikers. So Larson obviously bucked that trend. I mean, I was going to ask the question of should your stri- should your captain be your best player on on the pitch? But Kieran, you you highlighted Steve McManus. And, <laughs> I'm, I'm, a big, I'm a big fan of Steve McManus, but he he wasn't the best player on the pitch. <laughs> Kieran has whiplash from the the, the change of tact here because not but five minutes ago he mentioned <laughs> discipline as an extremely important quality in a captain. I don't recall Stephen McManus having great discipline when he almost killed Andrew Driver in Halloween. Um, Jesus Christ. One of the best tackles you'll ever see. I mean, outrageous, absolutely no need to make it, but he just thought, I've had enough of this. So, yeah. I mean, apart from that, and a couple of other high-profile occasions when he thought that he was, he was great. Uh, let's uh, let's finish. Uh, <laughs> we're going to finish. Uh, Liam asked a question. Uh, Hi, guys. Just caught Beyond the Scoreboard. Great listen as ever. And it got me thinking of a question maybe the agenda could look at. Can we link, and this is linked in with captains as well, can we link the recent drop in performance to losing Callum McGregor? I hadn't myself made that link previously and it's maybe too simplistic but Beyond the Scoreboard had a good segment on the midfield and also a lot of coverage on us performing not as well as we can. I wonder if that drop in performance has coincided with McGregor's injury and can we and do we perhaps forget how important he is? It would be good to see what you guys think. Uh, great question, Liam. Um, I think it's a bit of a no-brainer. I think he's one of our best players. He obviously dropped out at a time when we're performing very well. Keenan, your thoughts? Yeah, I think so. But I think it was most noticeable in the Champions League. Um, I don't think it's... I really don't think it's um, coincidence that we did well the first two games we, he was there and then he gets injured. Was it, is it the third or fourth he was injured? Was it the third? It was the first Leipzig game, wasn't it? It was it away was, in Leipzig. It was away in Leipzig. He got injured in, in about yeah. half an hour. And then, and then our performances for the rest of the group were shit. Let's be honest. I, I do think a player of his, you know, I think we talked about like at, for the Shakhtar goal, he isn't great. But I think in general, what he gives you over what you lose is just massive. Like, it's just it's just huge. You know, I feel like the number of times with the, the urgency of game, and I, I've mentioned it to death, but I think the biggest asset McGregor gives you isn't just like his range of passing, his dribbling, his anticipation of, you know, it's just the all-round game. It's the urgency he sets. It's the way he just dictates the tempo. And just if passing was a bit flat, and God knows that both Leipzig games and the Schechter home game, the number of times where our tempo was really, really flat. And O'Reilly's done a decent job. Um, I think he's, he's done what he's shown. He's a different type of player now. We discussed it before that maybe he, he is somebody who doesn't, he doesn't move for the ball as much. He doesn't, he isn't as somebody who picks up the ball and is looking to increase the tempo but I think he's done a decent job there and obviously a brilliant <laughs> brilliant footballer I, it's just I think we really missed somebody who was going to add that 
urgency and that tempo. And I think we just didn't look like an Ange Postacoglu team without him in the Champions League. I think domestically, honestly, I think VAR has just messed up all reading of our performance levels. Uh, and We haven't played great, but just the, how stop-start it's all been, all the VAR controversies, I think it, I think that's really sort of added a massive asterisk to when analysing those performances. At the same time, I do think we have we did dip without McGregor because he is such an invaluable player. We we mentioned it before that apart from Hitati, I don't think there's anyone else that you could really take out and it massively improve it massively influences the performance levels. I think McGregor and Hitati are those two, and McGregor. I think we'd all agree as as much as I love Hitati, McGregor is probably even more important than him. Yeah. Um, so I yeah I think it's. Yeah, I, I I think it has made a massive impact, and as 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 I alluded to earlier, I just don't think he can be necessarily be that level of player because his performance levels are so high and he's so energetic and he covers so much ground. It's going to be a massive ask for him to still do this in two or three years' time, given the amount of football he's played every year for his career. That's going to catch up with his body eventually. So I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't be uh, totally remiss if we started coming up with a long-term McGregor contingency replacement plan next summer um, onwards. Um, but yeah, because he is he is so invaluable, and it's going to be ridiculously hard to find a good replacement in the long term for him. So hopefully, hopefully he does you know maintain these levels for another two or three years before he, you know his body starts regressing. Um, thanks for that, Kieran. Jesus Christ, um, Alan. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> a very happy way to end. I'm <laughs> uh, sad now. I need to fish out my my old American Pie or Russia or DVD <laughs> to cheer me up. Um, <laughs> I think I think it is a good point. I think it is reasonable, and I think when you do actually look at it and you analyse how we've played and you think about it, and then you do, if there's one player that you really would struggle without, it's because he does really do so much to not just set, but maintain the energy at which we play with. You Go and pick out any Cal McGregor pass from this season. He, every ball is played with purpose. You know, even if he's just passing along, it's in a half and just moving the ball along, he plays it. He, he tries to play it with speed. And it's it, if you slow the game down, it can become infectious. Players don't realise that the game's slowing down around them when they receive a ball and then they move it on. If they don't do it with energy, then it can everybody then tends to do the same. But when you've got the highest volume, sorry, one of the highest volume passers in your team playing and everything's played with energy and puppets, you receive that ball and you know that when you then move on, you try and do the same. And it does, it's it's really important. And I, I do think we've missed them a lot. And I think it's kind of, it has presented us with a challenge that we have overcame domestically. But as Keenan says, I, I think I think Champions League would have been maybe a step too far regardless, but it would have certainly been nice to have them um, for the full complement of games. But I'd be when I seen the pictures of him training in Australia, I was absolutely delighted to see because yes. we will need them for this next run of games because I think we were just getting to the point where it just was slowing down a little bit and you bring a player of that quality back into any side um, right in the heart of the team, I think it will it'll be a huge boost. So hopefully on, what is it, the 17th of December? Yes. Um, you know, he's... He's leading the side out of Pataudry because that's a massive game and you want to just continue that that really strong start to the season we've had. Yeah, absolutely. We've got huge games coming up. We're going to Pataudry, we're going to Easter Road and we're going to Ibrox over um, three weeks. Uh, and I'm not looking at them with a sort of, oh, they're going to be tough. I'm looking at them with, 
Right, let's get into it. Looking forward to them. Can't wait. Uh, great to have uh, Alan and Kieran on the agenda. As always, this has been um, great. Really enjoyed it. We've got lots coming up this week. Uh, and as as mentioned by Liam, uh, Beyond the Scoreboard is available. Uh, Faithful Through and Through is available. There's lots of stuff. And we have podcasts I, every day. I really enjoyed that. I'd like to also place that on the, the minuted record. I really enjoyed them. Um, Faithful through and through. It was really good to hear different perspectives and different um, insights into what it's like either going to or watching Celtic games. It was very enjoyable. So if you could do one of them every week, that would be great from all around the world. Thank you. Uh, yeah, um, everyone who took part, um, Michael and Anthony and uh, Sean as well, really, really great. But this has uh, been the agenda. Plenty coming up this week. Uh, Alan Edgar, pleasure as always, sir. Thank you very much. Have a good week. Kieran Devlin, speak to you soon, sir. There's all mine, Chris. Loved it. I am Chris Gallagher. This has been The Agenda, and we'll speak to you down the road.